Welcome back to Always Evolving. And my guest today is a number one New York Times bestselling author. Her name's Rachel Cruz, but I've defined this morning that I'm calling her Miss Money, or it could be Little Miss Money, or Little Mrs. Money, because Miss Thing loves to talk about money. And she is an expert in that arena. So thanks for coming on Always Evolving. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. I mean, so some backstory on you is is you have a few other siblings. You hear this all the time, your affiliation with your father, who's Dave Ramsey, who is iconic in the financial space. Um, do, let me ask you, and you're now, I mean, you've written books, you've been wildly successful in this space. Do you think so much of that was because of the way you grew up? Uh, I would say a big part of it. I mean, I think I realized how I grew up when it comes to money was really weird. I mean, I remember even going to college and talking to people I was just meeting for the first time. And if money was brought up, everything that they were saying, I just was told the opposite. I mean, it was, you know, I was taught money comes from work. And so I never was given an allowance. All of us kids, we were on commission. So you work, you get paid. You don't work. Yeah. Yeah. So I've always worked for money and that's just what you do. Um, We were told things like, if you don't have the money, you don't buy it. So debt was never an option. You know, it's kind of this common sense way of approaching life. And then I just realized how different it was. And the fact, honestly, that we talked about money. A lot of my peers have said like, yeah, my parents never even mentioned it. Or, you know, it was like, politics, sex, religion, money. You just don't talk about certain subjects. And so even the fact they engaged conversation felt different. So I'd say, I would say a part of that, all of what I've been doing the last decade is a part of that, that foundation. But also I have a passion for it. I have a passion for the platforms of which I get to do it. I love doing shows like this. I love speaking on stages and writing books. And I enjoy that part um, of, of our culture, if you will, to be able to plug in hope and instruction where, for instance, my siblings, my brother and sister, like my sister would die if she had to speak on stage. She hates, she hates public speaking. She's like, no, that your job sounds like torture to me. Um, and my brother is kind of more behind the scenes. So I guess it kind of was a mix of what I enjoy and passionate about with my upbringing and that foundation that I learned. What was it ever a feeling like, oh, how are people going to take me seriously earlier on in my career? If, if, you're a woman who's the daughter of a mogul in terms of money and management and yeah. really is trailblazed. Did you ever find yourself like maybe not being taken seriously? Uh, at times. And I think for me, I had to get to this point a few years in where I realized, you know, I'm not a 60 year old bald man. Like <laughs> That's not me. And so why am I trying to mirror exactly what he does and how he does it. He's extremely effective in his teaching methods and how he does it. You know, we all, everyone jokes. He's like everyone's uncle who just gives you the truth and that's it. Right. And that's why people love it. It's great radio. It's great entertainment. It's all of that. Um, but I'm a little bit different. Even my approach, um, as a personality with my personality is even a little different. And so I think being secure and confident in how I am wired personally kind of helped me overcome that and honestly put me in other positions that he may not have been been able to be in. I mean, there's been people that have said, hey, we really want this interview because we want you to speak on X, Y, and Z. And it's stuff that he probably would never really talk about or in the way they would want it. So I kind of feel like I found my groove and my messaging was all around at the beginning, especially 
more geared towards younger people and parents on how to teach your kids about money out of my life experience. So as I've, as I've grown and I have three kids now, I've been married 11 years, all of that, I feel like with the life that's lived, there's a little bit of credibility that now I have that I probably didn't and probably shouldn't have at 22. Right. Yeah. You know, I, when I, I started going on Dr. Phil about two and a half years ago and he's been doing it for gosh, I think like 23, 24 years. And I hadn't done any television prior to that. And initially, you know, you kind of compare what is close to you. Like initially you're like, okay, what resonates with people? Uh, what tone, how do I talk? And you can't help when you're trying to get better to compare. The problem is if you compare from a mindset of I'm not good enough, then you're obviously going to feel defeated. It sounds like where you turned your own corner or created, or maybe you naturally had that gift was like, all right, I'm different. I have my own unique skills. I'm also a woman. I'm not a balding man. And that you've kind of embraced that. And so it's interesting to me that like finances, when we think of Wall Street or finance, we think of men, specifically like white men in suits. Um, yeah. Some of their suits they're wearing like, you know, really they care what they look like. So they're almost like, you know, touch. I don't know if this visual of them going to the bathroom to look at their hair to make sure their, you know, curl is looking right. But like, totally. <laughs> it's very strange. This concept that men know money and that suddenly, but I do think it could be perhaps because power, control, uh, maybe like family norms that were taught, you know, years ago, you know, before we were yep, alive yep. about the man makes money, he takes care of the house. And what's cool is you've really done the opposite, right? In terms of your approach. Yeah. And what's interesting too, is comparing wall street with main street. And I feel like I deal more with main street, mm. uh, the average American that's out there. And what we find in a lot of our research and a lot of what I've been doing is that the woman, the, even if she's a stay at home mom, the woman is the one that more than likely does the budget, does the shopping for the family, pays the bills, all of that, which is just fascinating to me, even over the last five years, as I've been, you know, taking all this research and I'm like, man, it's so interesting because I'm kind of with you, right? Kind of more the old school approach. You're kind of like, oh yeah, I just feel like the dude would do it all. The man would do it yeah. all, but it's not, it's not what's happening. And so being able to empower those women. And I think too, there's a, there's a level of the roles of how, especially a married couple when you're together to play. And I think that I like to go more about it, not versus man versus woman, but to say, Hey, whose personality leans toward this? So I always talk about the nerd or the free spirit. Someone in the relationship is usually going to enjoy the numbers. They're going to enjoy the budget. They're going to love looking at the investments. They're going to love to look, Hey, can we cut insurance, you know, go a little bit cheaper here. They enjoy that. They get energy from it mm. where opposites attract. And the other spouse is a little bit more like, Oh, that stresses me out. I feel like even the word budget breaks me out in hives because I feel like it's going to be, con you know, constrictive. It's going to feel like I can't have fun. I don't want to do it. And so for me to bring those two completely different personality, different personalities, different tendencies to come together as one man or woman, whatever it is, because I don't think it's fair for the woman to take care of everything. And the guy's like, yeah, well, I'm home. And so here you go. No, he needs to be involved and know what's going on and vice versa. I talked to some women like, yeah, you know, my husband, you know, I don't even know how to log into my bank account. And I'm like, that's not okay. Like you need to know what's going on. So to kind of take the gender out of it, if you will, 
and to say, hey, how can you take your own strengths, and, and specifically if you're married, and become a team and become one to win together over the long haul? That's, that's the magic right there. Hey, all you true crime fans, this is Mike Ferguson. And this is Mike Morphe. And we'd like to invite you to listen to our podcast, Criminology. Launched in 2017, we've covered a variety of strange cases from murders to missing persons. Some of the cases are ones you may not have heard of. Other cases we cover are some of the most historic in true crime. There are 200 episodes of Criminology available to binge on right now. And new episodes come out every Saturday night. Subscribe to Criminology today, wherever you listen to your podcast. Let me ask you though. So like your husband, is he successful in business? Yes. Mm -hmm. Very. Real, real estate. Okay. He's very successful. Yes. Do you think that was part of a condition you were looking for because it was important, like a value, hard work and money and. Yeah, I, I would say so. I mean, we got married really young and so we kind of have like grown up together in a sense. And, but I think for me, knowing work ethic and not yeah. that money's everything, but there is a level for me that I'm like, yeah, I want to know if something, you know, I had this dream of what my career would be like, but if something, if everything hits the fan at Ramsey and I have to go home tomorrow and I have nothing, I want to know that I, you know, that we still can like turn on the lights. And Winston yeah. would always say that, like we have this conversation a lot because even with my job, I'm like, I want to live my life like this, that if it's taken away, you don't have to put me in a padded room somewhere in some institute because I don't know who I am if I'm not Rachel Cruz. And so we'll have these discussions. And during COVID, we had these discussions of like, what, what's going to happen? What if the market bottoms out and everything we work for is gone, like all this stuff? And he looks at me. He said this for 10 years. He's like, babe, I will landscape yards if I have to. It's okay. And there's a level for me where I'm like, oh, like it just, for me personally, that there's a level of safety there for me. And so he had that attribute, even as early as, as 23 years old, that he was independent, self-sufficient, mm. good. And so for me, that was very much, I wouldn't say the only quality, obviously, that attracted me to him, but it was a big one. I don't know. I've dated so many guys with no money. Like, I don't know <laughs> why. I've like attracted like creatives or like, and I don't know for me if I, if, and maybe that could be my role in like a dynamic or a relationship as I like to feel like I'm taking care of someone. Um, yeah. Yeah. And that just may be part of like my own way of, you know, a thoughtful gift or making their life easier or a new experience. But I always, I don't know why I had in my head that like someone who is makes a lot of money is very busy making a lot of money. And so like, would our lives work out? But, you know, whatever, you know, a lot. Yeah. Sometimes you attract those part that you attract what you love and what loves you. And I, uh, I have several questions for you because I'm fascinated about money. The only other person I had on here, well, I had Susie Orman on a long time ago and Chris oh, Hogan, yeah. your buddy over, you know, in your nice. family of, um, you know, money makers. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and why? Okay. So, so one question I have is I have no idea when I'm ready to retire. How much money would one need to think about? Because I'm sure you've seen this a lot. People are like, I want to prepare. I'm saving for retirement. How the heck does someone even figure out when they're ready to do that? Yeah. Well, I think it's obviously there's not a dollar amount that's going to be right. take the scape of everyone. Uh, and you mentioned Chris Hogan, and he has a calculator on his website, which I love, the Retire Inspired Calculator. And you can, because I mean, it comes down to a math concept where you say, okay, 
what, what type of life do I want to live? How much money do I need to live off of to be able to do what I want to do at retirement? How much is that versus how much is saved? How much is in the market? How much return am I going to get? I mean, there's kind of a math formula to it to know. Um, but sadly for a lot of people, they don't even have that option right now, which is uh, terrible. And so for, so to plan ahead early, uh, absolutely. But also, you know, it's interesting. There's like two camps on like the retirement side. Tell There's me. the, the fire side, right? And they, they, they want to retire early. They're going to do everything possible so they don't have to work. And then there's other people I know that are probably going to work for the rest of their life, not because they have to, but because they want to, and they right. want to do something and always, you know what I mean? So I think that your, your lifestyle, what you want in your future and how much money you actually spend, all of that plays in to how much you need to have at retirement. You know, and I, I don't think a lot of people understand the benefits of living in other states. So I live in California and for the last Ooh, year, yeah. like my brother moved to Puerto Rico and I own some places in Miami. And I've thought about moving to Miami because I think my understanding is if I live in Miami instead of California for whatever is legal, that I ultimately could save up to 15% in taxes taxes. on my income, which you say put 15% of your earnings uh, into investments or savings, right? That's something I saw that you've recommended through your podcast. So. I don't, can you explain a little bit? And I don't know if you know much about this because I know a lot. I didn't realize this until the last few years and I'm 41 years old, right? That literally just by living somewhere else, if you have an online business, how much money you save? Oh, the, the tax part is, is absolutely insane. I mean, I mean, the migration to even where I'm in Nashville, we were talking about this earlier, the migration from California, Chicago, all of that, even in the recent, in the last year or two, I'm like, this is insane. Yes, because of the standard of living. And, and again, even, even real estate in California is going to be so much different than Nashville or, you know, Manhattan versus Des Moines. I mean, like all of that. So looking to say your overall benefit, your standard of living, it's a, it's a big deal of what you're just paying out in taxes. Like that's a very, very real thing. I've known people that sold businesses but before they sold, they bought, they bought a residential home in yeah. Tennessee and moved here. And then what they saved on taxes, they could purchase their home for. I mean, like, it's just, it's wild. So knowing that it, it is big, it is huge. And not saying that you have to make your entire move and change your entire life because of it. But if you find that you cannot keep up with the housing, you can't keep up with how much money is going to taxes and it's not worth it. Like the stress of it, you may say, Hey, you know what? What? Let's uproot. Let's go to, let's go to Dallas or mm-hmm. let's go to wherever. And, and have this fresh heart so you can actually have a life. Cause for a lot of people, they work really hard. And, and I think with some of the, the tax laws and stuff that might be changing, I think I read this in California, certain parts and depending on what district you're in or County or, or, or yeah, part of the state, it could be upwards of like 55, 60% of your income. Yeah. So it's something to consider for people for sure. Yeah. Like in, in congratulations, we both made the New York times bestsellers list, uh, <laughs> in, the, Thank you. in the business category this last month. I have no idea how my book made the business category. Uh, they always That's throw what it I said in there. Too. I was like, okay. <laughs> but congrats, congrats to us because I know we came out during a very difficult time. Um, yes. 
with media and elections. And so congratulations on that. But the point is- Oh, no, Mike, I stormed. Do you know, I launched my book two days later is when the Capitol was stormed. Like Me too. That, that Wednesday of it was it, we launched the same day, maybe. Yeah. And I thought, oh, my gosh, at least I got all my big stuff out of the way. Because I thought, oh, Jesus, please, please let them just wait another week. <laughs> Get my book out first. I know. <laughs> but the thing to, to this point is, if I wrote this book when I was in Florida, I would save 15 percent on what the publisher is paying me just by living in Florida. And for yeah. what it is, I could buy a condo out there for the difference. And I'm just, I'm saying this because I know some of our listeners are like, oh man, I feel like I'm in this, you know, they have online businesses, they have different services and they may say, well, I love living in this certain city, but really make sure as you're making more money and as your business is expanding, that you're looking at the income tax because the income tax will destroy you. And Rachel suggests a 15%. And the reality is like literally by moving, you just take that other money that you would have paid in state tax and you just save it and invest it, right? Yeah, it's a great point. Absolutely. Absolutely. Does 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 Tennessee have income tax? No. Oh my God. <laughs> That's so why they're amazing. all coming to Nashville. <laughs> yeah, no, it's but crazy. I, so many of my wealthy friends have moved. I'm like, I don't know what the state's gonna do because I know. Honestly, the wealthiest friends I have have moved to Austin and Dallas. Uh, yep. Yep. And I think Texas, Florida doesn't have income tax, right? Nope. Yeah. I think Texas yeah. and Florida don't either. Yes. Yeah. I was going to so. ask you because part of uh, what you were saying on, on something that I listened to is about saving a thousand dollars. And I was like, all right, I'm speaking to miss money today. <laughs> and I want to, I want to buy a thousand dollars of a certain stock. Now I understand it's a long play. I understand that you know, it may not do well, but what I want to do, and I don't think this is insider trading, but I want to ask you, cause I'm going to buy it while I'm on GameStop. <laughs> what stock should I buy? Oh, you're not going to like my answer, coach Mike. Why not? Cause I'm not, I'm not into single stocks. So I'm in, I, you I'm know, you won't ever buy what, it, but it's a free thousand dollars to put towards a stock. Okay. I would say maybe so I don't, I don't research it. So I'll say number one, I don't even have a great answer for you. So, but I would say if it's less, if it's less than 10% of your net worth and you kind of want to dabble in it, then that's fine. That's, that's totally great. Um, but for, for majority of people though, and what I usually focus on are just mutual funds. So 90 to 200 stock that are together because of the long track record of what it is, right. Instead of putting all my eggs in one basket, but, but I do see the thrill of it. I mean, almost in the same way of some people, you know, will, will put money into a business that's going up and they want a little bit of equity in it or they want to do a single stock, right? But I would want that a very, very small percentage of your overall plan. So again, pretty boring, but I mean, I'm, I love Roth IRAs, 401ks, you know, 403ks, yeah, you know, the Roth IRA, work, all isn't, of that. But isn't the Roth IRA, like if you make a certain amount of money, you can't put the money away in a Roth every year? You can do a backdoor Roth. And so there's a way, there's a way to get around it. Got it. And then the, what's the yeah. maximum you can put into a Roth IRA a year? I think it was the same. So uh, it 4, changes almost every year. Is it six? I think it's six. Six thousand. Six right now. Yeah. And you can max it out both. So I'm not going to buy the stock, but if someone wants to text me what stock to buy um, to my community <laughs> number, 310-984-1858, I'll buy $1,000 worth of that stock. Cause I don't want to push Rachel to get out of her own integrity zone. And so you guys <laughs> let me know. Hey, if it's less than 10%, 
I'm I'm good. I'm good. It's I just definitely don't know. I genuinely don't have a great answer for you. Could you imagine? I, I literally <laughs> all the money I've left. I'm like, I'm gonna talk to Rachel Cruz today and I'm just gonna throw my money there. But what is so your my, take? No, no, no. But but I will say this. Uh, speaking of all of that, because I am boring when it comes to investing. I mean, I just look at what's what's the long haul track record. So even things like Bitcoin, I was talking to a guy, he cashed out everything out of the market, put it all in Bitcoin. And I'm like, oh, not that I don't necessarily like disagree with Bitcoin or whatever you want to do. But I'm like, man, all your eggs are in that dang basket. You cashed out of the market where last year in 2020, oh my gosh, I mean, we made up to 30% more though. I mean, it was insane. Insane. So again, spreading out. So I love real estate. We love real estate and my whole family, but even with my husband and I, like we, we love real estate, believe in real estate. And again, the market's just a boring old mutual funds. <laughs> but what, it, what the heck, can you explain Bitcoin and what it is? Do you know much about it? Yeah, well, it's basically a limited supply. I mean, it's all it's and I can't I don't even have the numbers off the top of my head, honestly. Right. Yeah, that people are buying into this online currency. And, and the difference of it is that money, in a sense, is not finite. Right. You can always go make more money. But Bitcoin is finite. So the so the what you take out, there's nothing left like it, once it's all gone. So that's why the price of it has continued to rise. And I think for the future of currency and all of that. That's what people are leaning towards, that that's what's going to happen. But, and it could, you know, I'm not saying it can't ever, yeah. but I still just don't believe that the dollar is is going to completely go away. I think I believe in the American economy enough to believe that. Yeah, I find okay. some of that stuff, um, the conspiracies, and I find the people, and this is no disrespect to anyone who bought Bitcoin because you probably made a lot of money if you bought it sure. when it was a lot sure. less. But it can sometimes be a slippery slope when you think you know where the market's going and you have the answers. Um, because like as a business owner, I can tell you like I own treatment centers for like mental health and addiction and, and such. Mm. And it's like once you get into like a huge amount of funds and everything else, I mean, it's it's no one no one is that brilliant at figuring out the market. And figuring out, especially cryptocurrency, uh, and it's just a slipper. Like, I know people who will buy gold and store it in safes. And I'm like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm like, store water, you know, get some right. water. Well, that's my thing, too, is I'm like, OK, let's just say if we just like played this whole scenario out and say the market did crash and we were in a Great Depression, and everything was gone, right? I'm going to like your point. I'm going to be looking for food and water, not like little bars of gold. You know, what, you know right. what I mean? Like, I'm like, no, like, I feel like commodities at that point become the currency, not silver and gold necessarily. But what do I know? Why the heck? And you, you probably find this a lot. Why do people spend it? Because I don't relate to this, right? Like even capital wise, like I'm a saver, like I'm a saver. I diversify. I don't spend money that I don't have. I don't buy things that I can't afford. Why do people buy things if they can't afford them and it has no likelihood of going up in value? It's a great question. I mean, I think I think there's a couple of things. I think that there's the I think the emotional heart issue is a big part of this. I think as an American culture, we have believed that the more I have of this, the nicer car I drive, the better house, the be I mean, all of these things equal happiness. That if I could just have this, mm. everything's going to be okay. 
And as we know, time and time again, because I've fallen into that before, you end up like a rat on a wheel just running and you get nowhere in life. But yeah. when things that you, when you think that that is going to be it, man, it will just, it will destroy you emotionally, but it also will destroy your bank account because you're trying to live up this American dream. And it kind of drives me nuts. Cause I'm like, who set the standard of living? Like people all around America, no matter what state you're in, no matter what income level you're at, mm. there's like this point of, yeah, you should have this amount of house. You should, everyone, you know, there should of course, of course be two cars in every driveway. Uh, you should be able to, to, to go on at least two vacations a year or whatever, you know, like, it's like the standard that everyone has set. And if you don't have the income to do that, debt is a really easy avenue just to, just to walk through. And the sad thing is, uh, it's a quote my dad says all the time and I loved it. So I kind of stole it, but it's so true. He always says, it's okay to have nice stuff. Just don't let your nice stuff have you. And it has you through what we're talking about. It has you through debt. It owns you. That thing owns you. Yeah. That car payment, that 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 mortgage that is that is fifty percent of your take home pay that you have, um, the credit card debt. All of that. It limits your options, and you're forced to continue down like the American dream. Like you're forced to stay in a job you hate to pay these bills of things that you've already bought. Like it, it, it's so sad. I mean, it, it is a form of bondage in our culture that people have just subscribed to and said, okay, so, so your debt, your stuff has you and you're in debt for it, but also there's that contentment factor. And it is so huge. People really, really look at other people and say, man, if I could just go on that vacation, I would be so happy. Or if I could just drive that car and again, not that nice vacations and nice cars are bad by any means. Uh, but when you think that that's going to be the source of your joy and your happiness long-term, you're going to, you're going to fail miserably. And you're, and some people don't get out of the brat wheel, right? They continue right. on it and just chase, 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 chase. And so it's what's fun. your guilty pleasure? Like, like I can tell you if I gift give, I've given several times Hermes blankets, right? Like that's like something I'll give to people if I they've done something amazing in my life because it's one of those things I feel like most people don't really want to buy because they're expensive but they're really nice and everyone likes them right you can't go wrong that's good that's and then good. in my yeah. own life I buy art like I'll buy my guilty uh -huh. pleasure is buying I see it behind you yeah yeah I got art all over my house so I, I say it looks like a a, a colorful pinata shit all over the place in my house you know it's just <laughs> it's blasted so but like, what are yours in terms of like giving and also overall that like, you're like this when you're like, I achieved this. So I'm going to spend on blank. Yeah. I mean, I'm such, such a woman in this, but I mean, I would say clothes, clothes and clothes. what, what yeah. like, like if you had, let's say you just, <laughs> you made a fortune. You're like, I'm going to walk into, is it like Chanel? Is it like, what is the store? Where you're oh, like, no, I'm not that fancy. Oh, I don't know. I mean, if I could just go online and. Oh, come on. I'm you pretty, don't have any. Fa there's no fancy about a bag or anything. No, I do. OK, so my my. So here's what I did on my last book. You know, you're so, um, love your life. Not theirs. When I hit a certain amount of copies, I told myself I'm going to buy a pair of Louboutins. So that was my like my my fancy purge where I was like, OK, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. But then here's the thing. It's kind of what we're going back to, like. I'm like, oh, I just need a pair of red bottoms. If I just can have it in my closet where they're facing, where I, I have an see incredible them when I walk in. By the way, I have an incredible hookup, by the way, for Louboutins. I know the Stop. No, the seller serious? and they do pop-ups <laughs> and they're like 80% off. 
Actually, I have heard about this. They do, they do that like in Manhattan and stuff. In didn't LA they? too. Yeah, I'm buddies with the person. The unfortunate um, thing is, I just don't think the shoes with the spikes and everything on a six foot five, 280 pound man doesn't really work, <laughs> you know? But with a woman, it it's it a thing. <laughs> but you bought them, know, so you I, bought them, and then you were like, okay, I'm feeling them for a special occasion. It's not like you thought about yes, them that much. And they're fun to wear. I mean, when I wear them, I'm very aware that I'm wearing them. Um, but it's still just like, I was like, okay, it kind of just became a thing again. Do you know what I mean? Like, the, yeah. it's like the, the, ma the magic and all of that is gone. So that would be, yeah, well, I, that or a, a nice bag. Because what I, I, uh, I love a good bag. When I was reading, Know Yourself, Know Your Money, which is her latest book, which is Rachel's latest book. You talk about the giving scale, open-handed yep. and close-fisted. Can you talk about that and what that means? Yes. Yeah, so the way you approach money and your viewpoint on it changes a lot about how you handle money. So giving is a big part of what I believe in. I think it's such a part that people miss. And some pe most people, not most some people, yeah. they live their life like this, right? They, they hold money so tightly and there's the sense of security, which money does bring a level of that, but it almost gets to this unhealthy place where they think I'm just going to continue just to hoard, hoard, hoard. And again, it's that mindset that, that this is going to, this is going to be okay. If I can just have this, everything's going to be fine where people's their families, their relationships, all of this just starts to dissolve around them, but they mm. just, they still hold on so tightly. And so I have just found when you live life with an open hand, everything from your, your job to your money, all of that, some of it may leave, but I always tell people it gives the opportunity for more to come back in. Like when you can do this with your money, there's a level of ownership that you're saying. And for me, I, the spiritual sense is big where I'm like, okay, as a Christian, I'm like, I believe God owns it. So I'm like, okay, what do you want me to do with that? Like, what do I do with the resources you have given me? And so having that open hands for me is, is so massive because again, it, it, it takes the, the reason why I'm doing my work. It takes the reason on why I want to win with money, all of that, not just for my inward focus. Like we are so inwardly focused 24 seven. It's all about us all the time. And when you can actually pause and say, Hey, there's someone out there that actually may need help. There's actually, you, I could pay for someone's adoption. They want to adopt, but it's so expensive. And we could do that. Like the most creative things in the world can happen. And, and I have found probably the most, honestly, over the last three or four years of my life, where I've realized, I'm like, if I can put time, money, and energy into the things that you can't buy, that is where life is for me. So if I can put time, energy, and money into my family, into my friendships, I mean, all of those things in my life, yeah. that is so much more life-giving than just trying to say, okay, I just want to buy all of this all the time. And so right. that, that, that giving perspective, it changes a lot. When you can have a heart of generosity and gratitude, I think it fixes a lot of our discontentment that we have. Yeah, it's interesting you say that. So I'm in Los Angeles, so there's a lot of homeless. There's probably a lot of homeless in Nashville. Oh, yeah. Not, and yeah, I don't know. Like LA, and this, though, is, uh, this is real talk. Sometimes I walk by people, I'm like, I'm not giving them a dime. And sometimes I walk by people and I'll even like throw a 20 while they're sleeping. And sometimes I'm like, what if this is like Jesus reincarnated where it's like, give him money, <laughs> like, like in my head, I'm like, what if I'm supposed to give money, but I'm not. So I'm like doing this wrong. And it's like, you know, like, because there's also enabling, right? At a certain point you can enable behavior too. If someone walks yeah. over intoxicated and you you're buying their next booze. So like, and sometimes I, th and I know what you mean by like giving and giving with an open fist to 
friends, family, relationships, generosity, whether that's, uh, you know, like I'm very accommodating when people stay at my house in L.A., whereas Mm -hmm. other people I know, it's like, don't touch this. Don't do that. You know, it's like very and it's very like you're saying it's tight clenched. It's like the level of like I may leave town this weekend. I'm going to have a friend stay at my house and I'm like, yeah, just have fun. But like some people. And I think it's that mentality. I think I, I naturally have that, but I can see when we're in fear, we really go, "Uh Oh, don't spend money here. Don't do that. You know? And we can sometimes have anxiety. That isn't the reality, right? That's oh, exactly right. Yeah. And, and to your point earlier, that is spot on. I don't want to enable behavior, right? So the mom who continues to fund her 32-year-old son's life because he can't go get a job and self-sustain, she's not just harming herself, she's harming him from robbing him of the dignity to go out and win on your own. Like, So there's a point where giving becomes enabling. And the hard thing about enablers is that they're the nicest people on the planet, yeah. right? Like you talk to an enabler and you're like, oh my gosh, you're so nice because they just want to help all the time. It's all they want to do. And so there is a point. So whether it's the homeless guy on the street or a family member where you say, hey, am I helping the situation? And so maybe there, maybe there is a time when you're walking down the street and you really do feel this pull of I really feel like I should give to that one person. Maybe you just do it and you say, hey, whatever happens, it's not my business anymore, but I felt the pull to do that. Or you go, which is kind of how how my husband and I function a little bit more. We're a little bit more um, diligent when it comes to the giving. So we... We research, mm. we look at, especially if they're, if they're a 501c3, that you can look at where their budget is, where they're, when, when you give money to that organization, where it's actually going and right. like all of that. So we do research on the, on the front end because I'm like, if I'm giving you the money that I've earned for something that I am really passionate about, I want my money to be, duh, I want my money to, to, to help with that thing, uh, not fund somebody's car payment or whatever. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. What, yeah. What is your take since, um, you're Christian and grew up Christian, you know, like there's mega churches and mega wealth and like, and I'm not in that world, right? Like I'll see it on TV and I'm like, how the hell are they affording this TV spot? I like a good hour and it's huge. And like, is, I'm just curious your thoughts. And I know there's like, Look, there's always with any group of people, there's good guys and quote people that aren't ethical. There's there's the range, right? Yes, yes. But like, what is that? Like, I'm. it's a little confusing to me because I'm like, is it geared towards this is how to spread the message to spend money to create more of a message? Or is it for a church itself to be more recognized? Or like, what is the intention of giving money to let any religion, what is the idea behind it? Yeah, no, it's a great question. And I think some places do it a whole lot better than others. So the ones that you probably get a gross feeling with, probably because they're probably kind of gross. You know what I mean? Like there's, you, you can tell. And so, well, for me, I'll say, giving, cause we do, we get, we give to our local church because right. of what that does. Like that's a place that we're able to go. And, and our church, one of the reasons we picked it honestly is because they serve our, our city probably the best I've ever seen. I mean, they, they, they make the government look irrelevant when it comes to downtown Nashville. I mean, they do so much. They have a car ministry, they have a food bank, all of this stuff. So, so part of the resources that, that we give the hope is, is that it is spread. Like that's what it is. And, and I'm not ashamed of it, but I'm like, yeah, I mean, if it helps pay 
a salary for, for a church, someone who works at the church, then that's great. Like, cause right. they allow it to run and be open. And so for me, that's a, that's a small part of our giving of what we do. And then above, above and beyond that as well. So people that you may not be religious or someone listening may not be, and they may not have a quote unquote religious organization to give to. But I would say find something though that you are passionate about to give to, because this is a big part of what makes giving fun. Like it's yeah. sometimes not fun if you're just kind of giving into this black hole and you have no clue what's going on. But if you have something, so whether it is, you know, foster care or adoption or, or orphans or clean water, like find the thing out there that's going to help people and give to that because that's what makes it, in my opinion, so much more enjoyable and so much more life-giving. Like if you can just like write a $10,000 check for a single mom to have a new car, yeah, that will change her life forever, forever. And so it, it's just powerful things that you can do for people that um, it, it's, again, I can't reiterate it enough. I'm like, it is so much different. The joy you get from that is so much different than buying the Louboutins. Not that the Louboutins are bad. I love them. Right. But it's just different. It's totally different. What? Let me, I just want to ask you one more Christian religious question. I have a lot of Christian friends. So yeah, sure, sure. I, you know, like I love diversity no, <laughs> of all people. So my question is, uh, when do you think that somebody, and I know you can't speak for like all religions or whatever, but I'm just curious, like, cause I'll hear people off, often go, well, I'll pray for that. And mm, I imagine yeah. with money, there can be a block with, the actualities of it. And I, and I, I noticed this with like different things. I'm wondering if it's similar that you see where somebody could be like, well, I prayed about it and God hasn't showed up for me because, you know, A, B and C happened. Do you see that at all? Or people like somehow putting too much, it's almost like faith without works. You know what I mean? Sure. Sure. Ah, uh, we're going like, we're going to like theology here. Okay. So I would say, I mean, there, I mean, I would say it's an element of your relationship with God. And so okay. for me, if there's something in my life that I, and, and when I say want, it's not like, Oh God, I want to, I want a new Tesla. Please bring me a new Tesla. I mean, it's right. not that kind of thing, but if it's like, yeah, I want this relationship healed, or I feel like I'm struggling in this area and I am sick of it. Like I want, I want to be healthier there or whatever it is. Um, that I'm, that I'm praying for. Yeah. I mean, I think God answers in multiple ways. I think there could be an obvious change in your life. That is, that is obvious. I think that, uh, there are elements of the journey that we go through that, in my opinion, almost make you stronger, like during mm -hmm. the hard times and you say, okay, what, what am I learning from this? Cause can you learn when you're successful and at the top and winning financially, all that, sure, you can still learn, but you're pretty comfortable, right? Like life's pretty good. Right. But when you have a, a hard time, whether it's financial, relational, it, I mean, you said you work with people, you know, that have addictions, all of that. Like when you're at the bottom of the bottom, there's a level of perseverance and character that's formed in that. So when I have those times in my life, those are times where I just pray, my like, God, I'm here. I don't like it. I feel like I'm suffering. I'm miserable. Yeah. I want you to pull me out. I want you to pull me out. But if I'm not being pulled out, what are you teaching me? And not that he's has a consequence for me or not that he's saying, I'm putting you here because you did something right. wrong. I don't believe that. I think we, I, I believe in extremely loving God and he's crazy about us and he loves us and he wants a relationship with us. So I don't think that there's like these terrible consequences, but I do think that there are consequences that happen to us through our choices, right? Like if I choose to go have an affair, there's going to be consequences to that in my life. Not that God's putting that on me, 
but that's just life. That's yeah. going to happen. And so I, I think it's all of that mixed in. Does that make sense? I yeah, don't know if I you know, that it, well, it, but that's kind of how I see it. It does. I, I think it's helpful for people to realize too that you can pray for something, but you got to do the work too. Like part of getting sober, and I did it for years, and I still have a ritual I do before I speak or any moment where I'm like, all right, Mike, be yourself, get out of ego, you know, as I'll get on my knees because I just find there's humility in it. And when yeah. I got sober, that's part of what I did. I get on my knees by the bed and I would pray and I would just be like, all right, thy will be done. And really just trying to open myself up to um, like following through with the spirit of my existence for the day and getting yeah. out of fear yeah. and emotion. If I prayed and said, uh, God, give me that job. Uh, it's more like that's different than going, uh, God, show me the way today. You know, and sometimes what we believe we want isn't actually what we're supposed to be doing. And sometimes we get in our own way by thinking that through prayer or like demanding of whatever yeah. higher power we have is not really how it works. And I remember one time I was praying and I, I love a good prayer. Like I love praying, meditating, <laughs> you know, like wrap me up in an Hermes blanket and let's pray the world away. Right. So I'm all about it. Do it with friends. And, uh, I remember one time I was praying and I heard this thing in my head where I was like, I think I had something going on. And I heard I, what I heard in my head was Mike, stop praying to me, go eat a sandwich. And like, it was like a turning point for me. Cause I was like, whatever that thing was. And it it could be voices in my head was like, man, stop praying to me. Go, go on with your life. You're hungry. Like, what are you doing? But I think it's like, you know, so much of life and our relationship to others and money and family and giving. And that's really when you talk about having an open hand or a closed hand, an open hand is being open to the spirit of your existence and navigating through life. Yeah. And yeah, I really think that it's a good reminder that aligning with who we are and aligning with opening ourselves up and not being in fear is really the path to, to living. In your last book, Know Yourself, Know Your Money, is the more you know yourself, the more you're going to be aligned with your spirituality and the more your relationship to your money is going to be cleaner and authentic. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that there's a level of self-awareness that more than ever, and you're in this world so much more than I even am, but a level of self-awareness that I feel like right now in our culture is accepted. Like, I feel like we're, we're allowing um, ourselves to know our emotions. I think we're allowing ourselves to go back to our childhoods and figure out how that formed us. Like we're, we're kind of living in that space more than the baby boomers or the generation before them. I think that we are more open to that. And I think it's really, really healthy because like you were saying earlier, you know, part of that self-awareness, you may say, wow, I am just kind of depending on other people or God to just do everything where no, you reap what you sow, scripture right. says. So like you actually have to go and do something. And so I always say, you know, work like it depends on you, pray like it depends on God. And so there's like a, there's a, there's two parts of that equation that are very real. And so but having the self-awareness to dig in and say, okay, where am I at with my money? Where, what kind of role does money play in my life? What are my dreams around money? What are my fears? Because all of that dictates how you handle money on a day-to-day -day basis. Rachel, I appreciate you coming on Always Evolving. 
Where can everyone find you? Everyone, your book's available everywhere. Know yourself, know your money. I mean, it's, I mean, we're basically siblings with our books out there in the world. <laughs> you know, congrats on that. I know it's pretty fun, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. it's great. Um, yeah, so you can uh, find my podcast uh, wherever you wherever you love podcasts, The Rachel Curry Show. I also have a YouTube and Facebook version of that. And yeah, the book is anywhere, anywhere you can get it. And, and you guys all let me know and let Rachel know what is your relationship to money? How do you feel about money? And once you get hooked into the, there's a whole Ramsey network. It's Rachel Cruz Ramsey, <laughs> Rachel and her dad and Chris. Like, so if you're looking for anything in this money realm, financial, and as you can hear, it's not just about the outward existence of money. It's also your relationship to it, your spirituality, your family, your planning, your peace, your resilience. So hook into their <laughs> network because I know a lot of you have messaged me that you're struggling with finances. And to be honest, the, 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 I'm giving you a solution in terms of your go-to shop. So thank you, Rachel, for joining us. Well, thank you, Coach Mike. Seriously, it's, a, it's an honor to be on. So I appreciate it. Thank you all for listening to Always Evolving. And I really appreciate all of those text messages you guys have been sending me and reposting any of the podcasts on Instagram and tagging me so I can reshare it. So if you want to text me, the number is 310-984-1858. Many of you attend. I have a free empowerment group every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific time. You can get more information on that at coachmikebear.com. Until next time, keep it magical and keep living. The Always Evolving with Coach Mike Bear podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and is not intended as a replacement or substitution for any professional, medical, financial, legal, or other advice, diagnosis, or treatment. This podcast does not constitute the practice of medicine or any other professional service. The use of any information provided during this podcast is at the listener's own risk. For medical or other advice appropriate to your specific situation, please consult a physician or other trained professionals.